recognize that. <laughs> oh, all right. So it's good to see all of you here today. My name is Jeremy Likes. If you haven't met me before, I am the director of youth ministries here, and I speak to all your kids on Wednesday nights. Uh, but I get the honor of speaking to you today about one of my, well, to be honest, if any of you have hung out with me for more than five minutes about the Bible, you will know that I am a lover of the Old Testament. I think it's one of the coolest things in the Bible. I think it has so much wisdom and it has so much to speak to us today on. I even made a PowerPoint. I did not make any of the themes, so I wouldn't woot too far, but I did make a PowerPoint. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you today about Habakkuk. Have any of you ever heard of Habakkuk? He is a small prophet. Not a small prophet, but he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament and is really small. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to actually read the entire book today. That's how short it is. So I'm just going to get you all prepared for that. But when I'm speaking to your kids on Wednesday nights, I always have this emphasis of questions. I'm always trying to get them to ask questions because I think it's incredibly important. So everything I do, everything I say, I'm always like, but ask questions. Like, I spoke this to you, and I did my best to make sure that I spoke this the best I could. That there was, it was all truth, and I'm, but I'm one man. I'm going to screw up, so read it again. Read it again. Find out, is this what it's saying? You should always be researching this. Studying the Bible is one of the coolest things in the world, but the reason I chose Habakkuk is because my love for questions comes out in, in his book. He is a prophet who questions God about who God is, who his goodness is, and who, what it's like to actually understand who he is. And growing up, I had a hard time asking questions of God. Not asking questions of people, that was super easy. Why so easy to ask people? But when you get into your prayer, it, for me at least, it was very difficult to ask God why. Because I was already in my mind, I'm like, well, God's good, so he's, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. And it kind of seems like an easy trap to fall into. God knows what he's doing, so I'm not going to ask him too much why. And that almost seems good. And then when I start reading the Bible, I realize that every single prophet was always asking God why. That none of them ever just sat there and were like, he knows what he's doing. No, half of them were like, oh my goodness, God, why are you doing this? I can name two off the top of my head that said, God, can you just kill me? Like they were just asking to die at one point. So I really want to get into this because I want to instill into you, if nothing else today, I want you to remember that questions aren't a danger to the truth and faith builds, or in questions build faith. It's that important. Say it again. Man, I only practiced it once. Remember, <laughs> question, uh, remember that questions are not a danger to the truth and that questions build faith. So we are going to be asking God why today. Well, we're going to be reading about a God, a guy who asked God why. And then I hope in your time you would also ask him yourself. So, but I do have a little, uh, little side thing that's going to lead us into this. I'm a lover of history. I like this old saints in the Catholic Church. I think they're super cool. So we're going to talk about one real quick. Go ahead and go to the first slide. Today we're going to talk about St. Diana de Arc or Joan of Arc. This is why she is so cool. First off, she was born in 14, I actually think I have to be beyond this line. She was born in 1421, and she died May 30th, 1431. Did I say that right? Yeah, I said that right. I can read. That is so wrong. I put that in there. No, no, this is important because she didn't die when she did, and she died when she was 19. Thank you. But she, but at 17 of age, she had the call of God. It's so funny. I was about to tell you how I knew all this, and I really screwed it up on the slides. But... 
at age 17, she had the call of God on her life to literally save France. She felt that over her, to literally save France. She goes before the king. He rejects her. At 17, she's like, a 17 woman going to the Catholic church saying this, and then, and then goes, nah. She goes back in, and they're kind of, this is during the 100 years war. None of this is important. To be honest, you don't even remember any of this. But, but she has that side note. But he allows her, he gives her a sword, which I meant to bring today because I have one because my sister's here today and she did a wax museum of Joan of Arc. We actually have a, like, it's the crappiest wooden replica sword. It got chewed up by a dog, but my goodness, it, that, that's a holy sword. Now, she goes into, she goes to the Battle of New Orleans, lifts the siege. She was a woman, so they wouldn't even let her command anything or even be part of the army. So she just went in and straight did that with no command Lifts the siege after two years, gets called the Maid of Orleans, and then dies two years later. She gets captured by the English, gets, uh, falsely, gets falsely accused of heresy, burned at the stake at 19 because she refused to deny her call of God on her life. And she becomes the second patron saint of France, and I know I got this right. She was canonized by the Vatican May 16th, 1920. That's tomorrow. She, her anniversary of her canonization as saint happens tomorrow, or the anniversary at least. None of this matters. <laughs> I really wanted to tell you all that, but you could say that I kind of know a lot about Joan of Arc. Besides the fact that I put the wrong date on there, I know quite a bit around her because none of what I, all that extra stuff was not in my notes. But you could say I know a lot about her. But do I really know who she is? No, of course I don't. She's been dead for 500 years. I don't know what she sounded like. I don't know what her favorite colors were. I don't know uh, what she liked to do as a hobby, besides, I don't know, killing the English. Uh, <laughs> I don't know any of that. I don't know if she had a crush on a boy. Probably not, honestly. She was crazy, but she's that cool. But I don't know anything about this. I don't have a personal relationship with her. And that is the important part of today. So. Oh, because I can't ask her questions, I cannot know her on a personal level. But we can ask that of God. And this is one of the fundamental truths of the Bible is that it invites us into the throne room to ask God the hardest hidden questions. And this leads us into Habakkuk, who goes into the throne of God, questions himself, questions who God is, and simply says, how are you good in a world that's so evil? That feels pretty relevant. Uh, relevant for today, I would say, or relevant for every single day throughout history. How can, God, how can we even justify God's goodness when there's so much evil in the world? And he does this. So everyone do me a favor, and if you haven't already from the beginning, turn to Habakkuk 1.1. 1, 1. We are going to read through the whole thing, and uh, we are going to read through the whole thing today, but it's not very long. And although I'm a little stuffy and nasally today, I think I have a pretty good voice. But while you're turning there, I will give you some context for Habakkuk. First off, his name means embrace, which is pretty cool, I think. Uh, he's a hugger. Well, I don't know if he's a hugger, but at least that's what his name meant. And, there, and there's, this, like, there's this kind of like theme that people are named after what they like to do. But it does make sense because he's called the questioning prophet and in some circles the bleeding prophet. Because what we're about to, or the bleeding heart prophet, because what we're about to read, uh, his last poem is considered one of the greatest poems in the Bible, even out, even to some people outdoing, with how it's written, outdoing some of the Psalms itself. That is how much like heart he puts into it. 
And we're going to get into that too, because the prayer is the most powerful part of the entire sermon, not even the questioning God, how his conclusion to what he comes to. So, oh my goodness, but we need to know something about Habakkuk. He lived in the time where Israel was at their most evil, to the point where they're about to go into the exile. They don't know it yet. The prophets are proclaiming it, but Israel doesn't know it yet. Or at least they haven't got the revelation, and they're about to. But it's one of the most evil time in Israel's history. They were literally, like, the abuse of slave labor was huge in there. They were, like, the wealthy were extorting the, uh, the poor. And literal child sacrifice. I mean, like, two-year-old children were being sacrificed because this is what the other nations were doing. This is what Habakkuk absolutely 100% would have saw because in our modern tradition, it says that he lived to see the exile. That means he would have seen this when it came. But this is what Habakkuk has. And if you want to learn about it, uh, read Jeremiah 19. He literally talks about the child sacrifice. It's brutal. Because these people were brutal with how they did it. But Habakkuk's different from the other prophets. Because every prophet is a directing to Israel. They're talking to Israel. But Habakkuk doesn't. His is, his is a direct conversation between him and Yahweh. And he asked, how can you, God, who is so good, be tolerant of so much evil in the world? So, I'm going to go ahead and read the word. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, this is Habakkuk's first complaint, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you who do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflicts abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteousness or righteous so that justice is perverted. Go ahead and stop right there and bring up my next slide. So we, so we have Habakkuk's first complaint. And it's simply, the Lord does not listen. The Lord tolerates evil, and the law is meaningless. This is a man of God. <laughs> he is a prophet, and we're going to learn that he knows the Torah. Not only that, he knows exactly who God is. And he is accusing God of these things right here. So he goes, God, you do not listen. And it's, that's powerful. I feel like I do that a lot. Like, I feel like I'll pray and pray and pray and pray, and then I'll never have a moment. I'll, be, I'll just be thinking to myself, like, God, are you even listening? And I feel like that's the way with a lot of people. You'll be praying, and you don't hear anything, right? Like, nothing in the voice, because you, you feel like it needs to be an audible thing. Like, if I'm talking to you, it needs to be audible. Like, the way if I were to talk to Faith, she would respond with me with, uh, well, probably something smart, Alki, but I would be able to know exactly what she's saying. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, like, wait and be like, there's something in my gut? Is it a tingle on my back? It's hard, and sometimes you feel that way, that is God listening? His second one is God tolerates evil. I think out of all of them, this is the most scary to say. <laughs> maybe God not listening, maybe saying the law is meaningless. But I don't, could you imagine going to someone and saying, you tolerate this, actually. You tolerate evil. That's a powerful thing to say, especially from a man who knows God. And if you walk forward, I just couldn't imagine saying that personally. I could imagine thinking it. But to actually say that with my human mouth, to come out to God and say, you tolerate evil, that's terrifying me. 
I couldn't imagine accusing Yahweh of something like that. But also, I don't live in that time. You know what? I've not seen a child get sacrificed, ever. I imagine that will mess you up. This would mess him up. This is what he brings before the Lord. That's why Habakkuk is so powerful in his, his wording. Because he's seeing evil every day with no prevailing of justice. That is terrifying. But then he ends with the law is meaningless. Because he knows the law. He's like, I have the Torah. I have all five books. I know these stories. I have them. Why are you not doing what you say you do? And it, that is another big hit. He knows the Torah. That means he knows who God is. He knows, he understands him. And I'll tell you what, that's another thing, because logically, I absolutely know who God is. I have logic to myself out of knowing God a thousand times over from simply saying, he's good, he'll take care of it. And that almost seems good on the surface till you realize you never actually talked to God. You just followed him blindly. What I love about this is it justifies the fact that you should never follow the, uh, the Bible blindly. You should constantly be asking questions because God invites us in to do that. Because questions build faith. And God wants to lead it in here. Because we'll, we'll see God's response. And there's something. But they're never accusatory towards Habakkuk. They're never, he never gets condemned by God for the questions he's asked. Or even the accusations he makes. Because there's something about, there's something about someone approaching you with a good heart. Who wants to know more about you. That, oh, that kind of breaks down the walls of offense. Like I... I have friends that I can talk to, and I can talk to them, and I'll be, like, on it. And I'll be screaming and yelling, and I'll be mad. But yet we will be okay because there's something about destroying the wall of offense that can't happen when you're in such close relationship with each other. So I think all these are something that we all go through, and it would be really beneficial if you said them out loud just so you can hear them for yourself because God wants to answer them. And I think it's incredibly relevant. Even today, I mean, this was written 2,600 years ago, and he's still dealing with the same things I'm currently dealing with today. Nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Every question I've ever had, somebody has clearly already asked it and has worked through it and begged for it. That's why you should get into history, because I'll tell you what, any question you've got, it can be answered. Yeah, well, at least 95% of them, at least. <laughs> but this is the Lord's answer. So the Lord's answer, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I am raising up the Babylon. <laughs> this is really funny, actually. I don't mean to laugh, but it is kind of funny in context. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, and their horsemen come from afar. Uh, they fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities and building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like wind and is gone on. Guilty people whose strength is their own God. So that's God's response. So go ahead and go to my next slide. Oh, you're already there. God says, 
So it is poetry. I like Habakkuk because it is poetry. He sat down, and it took him a while to write all this. But this is the Lord's answer. I do listen. I do recognize evil. And the Babylonians are their own law. They don't follow the Torah. So what am I, so what am I to do with that? But it's interesting because it almost, it's kind of funny. Habakkuk goes, I don't, you don't listen. God goes, I do listen. And, he's, and he responds with his listen saying, and you're not even going to believe what I'm doing. I am raising up Babylon to take out and displace Israel. That's kind of funny to me, I would think. Like, <laughs> could you ask that? Like, God, my house is falling apart. Well, don't worry. I'm raising someone up to take it out. Wait a minute. Can't wait. <laughs> it's, so it happens time and time again, but it's really funny. I, I was working. I was trying to work on an analogy to get me through this, and I... I don't know if it's great, but this is kind of what I would do. Like, if I was drinking and driving, and I got in trouble, I got pulled over, I got arrested, I had to go to AA meetings, and I'm sitting at the AA meeting, and the guy leading the meeting is an alcoholic drinking during the meeting, and then also asked for like a roadie on the way home. But he's telling you that, yeah, yeah he's just gonna, but I'll, I'll take care of this for you. That's, I don't know that word, this kind of like how Babylon is. Because we'll find out that Habakkuk does not like this answer at all. There's nothing even about this answer. He goes like, he goes, what? <laughs> but, and he says, I do recognize in the evil in the world. And he tells, even here, he tells you, he knows how awful the Babylonians are. He says they're ruthless. He says they're war hungry. They're always intent on violence. And among all the nations, they are feared and dreaded people like a feared and dreaded people that's a that's a heck of a way to describe a person i would think like i think dreaded's even worse than fear like people dread you i don't even know if i could describe that word without using fear in it but he says the babylonians they're their own law see israel was, israel had the torah they had something called instruction something to instruct them on how to live and None of the other nations followed it. Heck, Israel barely followed it, but at least they had it. And all the other nations are coming around, so Habakkuk's freaking out. He's mad at Israel. This starts off as he's mad at Israel and wants God to do something about Israel. And then when God tells him exactly what he's going to do, he's like, okay, I got a second question. <laughs> but Babylon's God was their own, their own military might, because they were sweeping across the land, and it says that, that they scoff at kings, their own military power is their God. So God uses another God to take out his own people. And it, all, and it kind of feels weird. And Habakkuk will address this too, because it's kind of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. It almost feels like God's proving his point. These slides here are God's answers to Habakkuk. But Habakkuk's kind of like, these are, you just kind of feel like you're proving my point. Not only that, do you not tolerate evil? You're going to use someone even worse than we are. So let's go ahead and read Habakkuk's second complaint, because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes... Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate the treacherous? Like, why, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made the people like 
the sea. Like the sea creatures that have no ruler, the wicked foe pulls them up from the hooks and he catches them in his net. Then he drags them in his, or he gathers them in his dragnet and so rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest of foods. He is to keep his emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. So I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer am I to give to this complaint? So this is Habakkuk's next response. And he does it. He's mad now because he talks about how he literally positions himself like on a watchtower. It says rampart, watchtower, but he positions himself up on high and basically says, what's your response to this? Like the goal of this man. I love this because it totally opens my mind up to a totally different relationship to who God is. Like, two years ago, I would not even believe that that was possible. You know, you make a slight joke, you're like, I'm going to get smited. This man's inviting the smiting. Like, <laughs> inviting the smiting. <laughs> if I had a Twitter. But, like I said before, questions aren't a danger to the truth. You can ask anything you want, but it doesn't change what truth is. And questions build faith. So, this is important. Habakkuk, he says, Lord, I know you. And we know that. He says right in here, he tells us exactly who God is. And you start to find out why Habakkuk's so confused and why he's yelling. Because as far as Habakkuk's current, God's acting out of character. And I would say that's fair. I actually agree with Habakkuk. As far, if I'm reading how I'm reading, I agree. God is acting out of character. How am I supposed to justify this? How am I supposed to justify anything that's going on right now with the goodness of God? But we keep reading. And he says, Babylon's worse. Why would you use someone worse than us? To take us out. Why can't you do it? You did it in the days of old. I read the Torah. You did it in the old days. Why are you not doing it now? <sighs> Why are you so silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? They treat the world like animals. That's what Babylon was doing. He makes the reference and calls them fish. Babylon didn't care whatever the, about anything they were doing. Calls them so, swallowing up. They're like, you are, you are cattle to the great nation of Babylon. All you are there to do is to feed us and to make us stronger and better. There's nothing higher than Babylon. And they did. They put themselves up on high, calling themselves gods. So Habakkuk's response to that is he says, Lord, I know who you are, and this feels out of character. So I'm going to wait for an answer. I'm going to go up high, and I'm going to wait, because you know what I need right now? I need an answer. You need to justify yourself. You need to tell me why I have to suffer this, why I have to see this every day, why Israel has to suffer this, and this is your response. And God responds to that. And you know what he doesn't respond with? A smiting. <laughs> like, <laughs> he doesn't kill Habakkuk on the spot. Like, who are you? He who, are, who even are you to question me? And he does it. No, God doesn't do that. He answers his question. And you know what? I love this because he explains it really well to Habakkuk 
Because this response is what changes Habakkuk's mind on a couple things. So let's go ahead and read the Lord's second response. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits the appointed time. So he tells him to write it down. If it had been your journalers, this is a good way to do it. Because to be honest, to try to get a revelation from God is hard to remember. So you should just write everything down. Because <laughs> you can read through it and work through it again and again and again. But it speaks of an end time and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I actually do want to stop there before we go any farther. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This is, this is like the key turning point of the whole book. Because it may not seem it, and it's only kind of slightly referenced, but it is, a, it is cueing you into the fact that Israel's going to go into exile. They're not going to have the temple. No more... Ma- no more no more making the animal sacrifices to roll their sins over. They won't have a king to follow them. They won't have a king to lead them. They won't be able to do all the necessary stuff that is required of them to be in right standing with Yahweh. I think this is so important because when they're in Babylon, they are going to have to live by their faithfulness to God because now they can no longer do anything that they were supposed to do. This is... This is just foreshadowing what Jesus will eventually do on the cross because now it's now it just gets to the point that I don't have to do any I don't have to really do anything because Jesus had died for me this is almost like that proto point the exile to realize you're going to live in a time where you're not going to have to do anything because you can't do anything you will have to rely on my faithfulness to you so be faithful to me that's where I want it. so that is the turning point that's why it's so important Habakkuk 2 4 Habakkuk 2.4 is the, is the turning point of what God is asking us to do. So indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood and you have destroyed the lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house on unjust gain, setting his nest on high and escaping the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your house and forfeiting your life. The stone of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. He has not the almighty Lord determined the people Labor is only fuel for the fire. That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That was also version's uh, verse of the day this morning, so I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. 
as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drinks, drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with the shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed human blood and you have destroyed the lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who say to the wood, come to life, or the lifeless stone, wake up. Can you give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is how God responds to the next one. So go ahead and go to God's second response slide. The Lord instructs Habakkuk to write everything down. So that's the first thing he does. He says, write everything down. Because I want this to be remembered throughout the ages. Because he even says, I want a herald to take it and run with it. Because he wants all of Israel and all the nations to know who he is. And he says, the enemy is coming to take Israel. Israel's too far gone at this point. Y'all are nothing better. You are no better than the other nations. You're just as evil. And you're my people. So punishment is coming. There's no, there's no ifs and buts or about it. You're gone. But I will be coming back. He does say that because he does come back for his people. But they will be taken from their homeland. But the Lord is important, or the Lord does deem it important enough to know that he doesn't endorse Babylon. So we call these the five woes. Uh, when you study Habakkuk, they're called the five woes of things that the Lord despises. These are things that he does hate and he doesn't like to see. And when nations start to exude these qualities, the Lord will come to take them out. And the five of them are extortion. If you read, if you read through uh, the chapter two, it'll say, woe to the one. And these are the woes. He's extortion. So the wealthy taking money from the poor to, make, to build higher houses for themselves. Self-exaltation, so raising themselves to an even higher standard that I am the greatest of the great. So lacking humility. The abuse of slave labor on people, so taking people and putting them into slavery. Manipulation. So it talks about the drinking of wine and having them drink so much that they're drunk that they're no longer in their right mind. You take advantage of them. And then idolatry. So just the worship of any other God but the one true Yahweh. This, and he says, any nations that exude these. Because Babylon's not the only one that shows these. Israel showed them, and all the other nations around showed them. So God doesn't have a whole lot to work with. Because this is what I love about, this is what I love about God so much. Is we always kind of want God to just come in and fix everything. But God wants to work in the human of the people. Because he made his covenant with humanity, which means he's going to use human aspects to do it. And just because he uses a nation to take another nation out to show them something, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he endorses what they do. It means that we have to deal with the consequences of our sin, no matter what that may be. But the Lord ends with this very specific quote. The Lord is in his holy temple. 
let all the earth be silent before him. Because all those nations that do that are all subjected to who God is. See, Israel had the Torah, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the world didn't also fall under who God was. It didn't mean the rest of the world didn't also have to eventually answer to Yahweh. These were just his people who were supposed to go out and show the world who Yahweh was. But we're all subjected to who he is. So just because a nation, he uses a nation, does not mean he endorses what they do. So we're in the last chapter. This is Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk doesn't respond after that. Or at least we don't know if he, he never at least wrote it down. But he responds to God in this very, honestly, beautiful poem. Because in this poem, this poem specifically, is what I was talking about when it's considered one of the best written psalms in the entire Bible. This is why he is called the bleeding heart. Because this is a literal embrace of who God is. Because he comes to the understanding that, yes, Israel has to go. And I know my God is good because he knows the Torah. But he knows what he needs to do. So he writes this down. And what I love about this is if you look at the very top, it will say a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on a shiganoth. I pronounced that so bad that I probably offended eight languages. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because this is a psalm. It's a song. This poem was not just a poem. It was meant to be sung. So this was a style of psalm that was sung. And the meaning, when they, so when they saw it, it meant triumphantly. When they sang Habakkuk's prayer, it was to be with triumph. Like, not like, uh, oh, I don't know, I can't do a small one. But there's a, uh, <laughs> it was meant to be sang triumphantly, like, stomping through, you're praising the Lord, like, we're coming to wipe everything out, like, I don't know, I think you got me. They're playing in major keys. This is not a minor key. This is a major key song. And there, and it is a fast beat. But this is so important because at some point, you'll see it where it says uh, Shelah. You might see in your thing where like S-E-L-E-H in the side of it. That is like what we would call a forte. It's a woo. It is a cry. Like that is how you would sing it. So when it comes to those verses and they sing it, they would shout the word. That is pretty cool because Habakkuk's prayer coming and questioning God. And even, and we're going to read this, and he does give God's praise. But it's, oh, it's, it's just so good. I got to read it. I'm not going to sit here and talk about it anymore. I'm going to read it because it's that good. So, Lord, I'm going to drink water first. I got to make sure that you guys get my sultry tones. Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, and in our fame, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praises filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. And he looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and then age-old hills collapsed. But he marched on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress and dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry at the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? 
When you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncover your bow. You called for many arrows and you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water slept by and deep roared and lifted the waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens and the glint of your flying arrow and the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the people. You came out to deliver your people and save your anointed one. You crushed the head of the land of the wickedness and you stripped him from head to toe. With his own spear, you pierced his head. With his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses in churning the great waters. I heard my heart pounded. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine and no olive and all, the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Sovereign is the Lord my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and he enables me to tread on heights for the director of music played on my stringed instruments. That is how it ends. Short. We just read all the way through Habakkuk. He questions God. God answers. He hates the answer. Questions God again which I feel is pretty, it's pretty normal. I usually hate the answers I get from God the first time. But he gets another one, and he hears it, and he gets revelation. Simply, that God is good, and we do live in a broken world, but he doesn't, but he doesn't make God any less good because he uses evil things. Because God uses all things for good, no matter what they are. But I love this very specific verse because... No matter, rain, sleet, snow, war, famine, and strife, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That is something to hold on to. And Habakkuk talks to God and he says, in your wrath, remember mercy. He tells God to remember his mercy when they're there. So remember your mercy, but yet I will rejoice. Because there's things that we just can't control. We just have to be okay in those moments, but we're okay in those moments because of God's blessings over us. He will give us peace and grace in those times. I love Habakkuk. Because when I was younger, I always had the impression I wasn't really supposed to question God. But in older, I realized that's the best thing I could possibly do. Because he wants to have that. I love it when people ask me questions. Truthfully, because I love to talk about myself. But that's because I'm the image of God, and he definitely loves to talk about himself. <laughs> he had it. <laughs> Exodus 34, he had his own revelation about himself. Like, <laughs> he is a good God. But most of our modern traditions believe that Habakkuk did go into the exile. So he saw, he saw, he saw Israel and their evilness. He knew it was wrong. He saw the exile coming, and it took, and they took him. The exile lasted a little over 70 years. Habakkuk was easily a grown man when he was writing this. 
So we don't know when he died, but I think it's pretty safe to say he probably died maybe in a raid or in Babylon and not even in his homeland. But yet he will rejoice in the Lord. Because Habakkuk's hopes do come into fruition. Because after the exile, Persia comes, wipes Babylon off the map, frees the Hebrews, and, uh, and fully funds their mission to come back to the Holy Land and fully pays off so they can rebuild the second temple. God always had the best interest in his people, but he needs to show them stuff because he can't just fix things. He's got to show you. You have to learn. And you learn by asking questions because questions strengthen faith. And that's what exactly what Habakkuk comes. That's the thing that Habakkuk does. His hopes come to fruition and he never saw them. He easily went with the Lord. He easily went to the Lord and saw everything. And he's like, oh my goodness. If only I could see the bigger picture. <laughs> Someday we will. So Habakkuk's ask and challenges. His questions are not a danger to the truth. They only strengthen faith. Thank you. I'm going to pray us out. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here together. I ask you just put a blessing over every single one of us, and you put the courage into us to come humbly before you and just simply ask, why? So you can answer and we can talk, so we can know more about you, that our revelation to you comes from you directly and not just because Jeremy's up here telling you who God is, but because God told you who God is. We need to know what we believe, and we only do that by having true relationship with you, Jesus. So we thank you for your undying love for us and your grace and mercy and peace that you've put over every single one of us in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Jeremy to stand up here. God has done a lot in this young man in the last couple years. And so I've had the privilege of, of, of directly supervising him, if you will. Uh, we, we came on, uh, what was it, 2019 to help me with the youth ministry. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was 2019 to help me with the youth ministry. And I was like, okay, Jeremy, you know, and I, I let him speak at the youth ministry. His first message, he pulled out a toy and, um, he talked about Leviathan and I did not know exactly what the central theme was of the message. But the one thing I remember, he, <laughs> and it's in the Bible, uh, but I, I didn't really know what the central theme was, but I remember him saying this, he told the teenagers, he said, you know, I'm your elder. And I'm thinking, this, this kid is like 23, 20, what? I, you know? And he's like, no, I mean, I'm the elder of Gen Z. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope for Gen Z. Um, he is the elder of this generation. And uh, he's the, he has grown so much since then. And then it was last year after camp really fell on, on my heart to hand over the youth ministry to him. And I heard him speak this message, this same message to our teenagers on a Wednesday night. And I said, wow, you've really grown in your presentation. And so then I was like, okay, you ready to do this uh, on a Sunday morning? <laughs> and this young man, his first message ever on a Sunday morning in front of adults, he decides I'm going to preach the whole book in the Bible, a whole book. <laughs> what a bold choice, right? How many of you guys were blessed today by his message? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God invites us to question. 
God invites us for relationship with him. And it's okay. And just like the people and just like Habakkuk who are living in times that were super evil and and scary, if you will, we live in times today that I I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that, that, that have asked, like, we are in the end times. What are, what, what's going on in our society? What's going on in our country? And there's a lot of people that, that have no hope that have been. And even in the church, I've seen people who are hopeless, who are dis- discouraged, even, even depressed. And this book reminds us to put our hope in the Lord, to put our hope in our Lord. We may not understand what he's doing. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But he is still working, and he is still good. And I thank you for reminding us of that today. I'm going to ask you, we are in a similar God Pentecostal church here, and so we believe in the power of the Spirit and the power of agreement. So I'm going to ask you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. We make it fun anyway, to stretch your hand out in a sign of agreement. I'm going to ask Pastor Joshua um, to come up here, too, and we are going to Bless this young man and pray for him because he has a call of God on his life. And we are committed to raising up ministers in this church, raising up people who who are going to serve God with all their heart. And this young man has that call. So, Pastor Josh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how amazing and awesome you are. And, Father, we thank you for Jeremy. God, we thank you for, God, his life. We thank you for the light that he shines. God, we thank you for his investment in young people. God, we thank you that, God, he, uh, God, has said yes to you. And that means standing in front of people and doing one of the most feared things in the world, which is uh, public speaking. And not only that, God, but he loves your word and he loves your people and he loves young people. And, Lord, we thank you for continuing to use and guide him. Father, we thank you for continuing to speak in and through him. God, we thank you for God prophetically speaking in and through him. Lord, we are just so grateful for him. God, we bless him. We bless his family, God. We bless, God, uh, everyone that gets to, uh, God, be a part of his life. And, Lord, we just thank you for him. We thank you for his humility and his grace and his love and his affection for you and your people. And, God, we just bless him, and we thank you. And, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for this day. Lord, we thank you for how amazing you are. And, Lord, we thank you for this message. Let it just continue to speak to us, God, that we have questions, you have answers. In Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you. And go ahead and receive this. This is, a, this is an ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Some of y'all know this. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining with us, friends.